Hello, friends. I'm so excited today to be here to talk to you on our first uh, podcast episode. And today is a very important day. It's very important that you understand exactly how what we talk about today is having a big impact in, in terms of keeping the Holy Spirit from really deepening its presence into your life. Uh, in March of, of this year, I received some guidance from the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit impressed on me that it was very important for people to have more of God and less social media and less news and less chaos and less disruption and less confusion and less overwhelm and less stress and less anxiety. All those negative experiences can be counteracted by having more of God in your life, allowing the Holy Spirit to build those fruits of the Spirit into your presence, daily presence, so that you become a more balanced individual, so that you are not riding the roller coaster that, that everybody that the mass the masses are typically experiencing right now but you're actually riding in a much more gentle ocean that's based on God's love for you so what was revealed to me is that there are 10 ways that we have aspects of our own thought system that really put a barrier between us and the holy spirit and the first and most important of these 10 is what I label the judge. Now, when you find it in yourself, you may choose to label it something else, but I think judge is a good term because it really does fit what's been going on for people. So I wanted to talk to you today about a client of mine that worked on his judge so that you could see how it's a night and day difference when you learn how to turn off the judge and open yourself to that kinder, wiser presence of the Holy Spirit. So this particular person actually happens to be a judge. He, he is a judge for a living. And you can imagine that that makes uh, trying to do something about this even more challenging because he's actually paid for some of the thought processes and um, ways of coping with life uh, because of his employment as a judge. But nonetheless, it was really destroying his life. His relationship with his wife of 25 years was terribly strained. And in fact, they were having thoughts about perhaps becoming divorced. And then they had a son who was just off when I started working with the judge, was off for his first year of college and his relationship with his son was so strained that they really weren't speaking to each other at this point. They had had a number of run-ins during the boy's high school career that were so violent, not physically violent, but emotionally violent. There was so much ugly stuff said back and forth that, that the relationship had really fallen apart. So one of the things, characteristics of a judge is that they never are able to let go of past mistakes. Now for a Christian, it's, a, it's curious that that should be difficult because we know that our sins are forgiven actually before we even commit them. That God knows our hearts, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our blind spots, and he's prepared to forgive us for any mistake that we make in the past when we repent and come to him. 
But so many of us have difficulty forgiving ourselves. And because we don't forgive ourselves, like this gentleman, he had deep, deep regret about some of the angry things that he said to his son, things that can never be taken back. And so he had a whole energetic backpack that was full of these regrets and self-recriminations. He, he, was, he knows about his weaknesses and his shortcomings and, and continued to beat himself up with that. And, and this was really a pattern that was passed down to my judge from his father, who was a very judgmental man who used the stick to motivate his boy who became my judge. And so there was a life, a generational pattern of, of doing this unforgiveness and this lack of, lack of compassion for self and other people that, that was repeating itself now moving down into the third generation of, of his son. He's also got a terrible focus on the shortcomings of others. Instead of seeing the best in people, he tends to see the worst. Their, their problems, their, their weaknesses are magnified in his eyes and he tends to focus on that as opposed to focusing on the strengths. So particularly with his son, this was a terrible problem because he was a boy, he was an 18 year old boy. He was not a grown man. He was not prepared to shoulder the level of responsibility that his father wanted to place on his, on his shoulders. And, and frankly, being an 18 year old, that's a time for making mistakes. When you make an 18 year old mistake, hopefully it's not too serious of a mistake so that life can sort of begin to teach you that when you step outside your own integrity, your own values, your own moral compass, and you take action that, that repudiates those values within, that there are consequences to that. And, and when we allow our teenagers to experience those consequences directly, instead of trying to intervene and prevent them from having those experiences, we are taking away uh, a lesson that is age appropriate and possibly focusing our kids into making a mistake farther down the road that may have sharper consequences when, when we didn't allow them to learn a lesson at a, at a less consequential level. I hope that makes sense. And then, and then with the judge, there's a real black and white sort of a perception of life where this is good and this is bad and there's no good in the bad and no bad in the good. And unfortunately, most of life isn't truly like that. All situations, most situations, there are significant shades of gray where a thing is mostly bad, but has some good or mostly good and has some bad. And when we can recognize that and stop this, this propensity to judge a situation all bad or all good, and instead find these shades of gray and begin to have conversation like this judge, he needed to have conversation with his boy that wasn't about good and bad. It was about what were the merits of that decision? What were the negative consequences of that decision? What about that decision makes it something you'd want to do again? What about that decision is something that make, might make you think, I would never do that again? You see, with, a, with an open-minded open perspective, 
then the boy can communicate to the father and have his own insights as a result of his father being willing to have a dialogue that's not about right and wrong or good and bad. It's like, well, this is about life. You know, what, what, what positive things came of this? What negative things came from this? How can you weigh it out so that you know in the future when another choice like this comes up, how you're going to respond? So then uh, the thoughts that run around in the mind of a judge, and, and you'll find this when you find the judge part of your personality, there are a lot of thoughts about what's wrong with me. There's a lot of self-condemnation. There are many ways that we don't feel like we're measuring up to our own internal standards. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever it is that you need to be, there's this constant measurement of yourself against a standard that's unreachable. So there's this constant feeling of judging yourself as to come up lacking. And then because we apply that, apply that sort of a standard to ourselves, we feel totally justified in, in applying those same standards to other people. And so we live in a condition of thinking, what's wrong with this boy? Why is he making these bad choices? Why is he going out and getting drunk with his friends when he knows that, that drinking is not permitted in our house? Why is he choosing to uh, go out with girls that maybe don't have the sort of um, morality that he would hope for his son? So this question of what's wrong with you looms large in the mind of, a, of the judge. And then there's this judgment of our circumstances. I, I only drive a $50,000 car. I should be driving a $75,000 car. I should be living in this neighborhood, not that neighborhood. I'm not good enough because I can't afford to send my child to an Ivy League school. Those kind of judgments about our, ourselves, other people and life keep us from having any sense of the opportunity and possibility that the Holy Spirit may be trying to bring into our life experience. So then the feelings of somebody, of, of your judge, and you will find this part of yourself if you look closely, all feelings of guilt, all feelings of regret, all feelings of shame and disappointment come from these judgments that you're making about the good and bad, right and wrong of the situations that you're involved in. So these, a thought that says it was bad that I made that choice then leads to feelings of shame and guilt and regret. And instead of having any sort of learning opportunity with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit can come in and give you the opportunity to confess what didn't work and be forgiven and wipe the slate clean, having learned something, instead of that, you live in this condition of shame and guilt. And then that leads to, of course, these bad feelings where, where we want to just numb these feelings. Many people are not able to tolerate feelings of shame and guilt and regret, disappointment. So they turn to alcohol, they turn to drugs, they turn to gambling, they turn to shopping, they turn to uh, over-exercising, they turn to overworking, well, I just need to spend more time at the office. And all of those addictive patterns then prevent building up an intimacy with the Holy Spirit as well as with 
yourself, your family, and your and your business colleagues. So this condemnation of falls on yourself, this condemnation falls on your relationships with other people, and this condemnation applies to circumstances so that you live in a continual feeling of discontentment, that you're not achieving your potential, that you're not serving God in the way that you maybe feel like he's calling you to serve. And all of that just is a downward spiral that slams the door in the face of the Holy Spirit. So this is why it's so important for you to be able to identify this part of yourself. This is a psychological construct that is typical of every human being. Until you have consciously learned to deal with this judge, it, I promise you it is impacting your life. It is cutting you off from your experience of deepening into the love of the Father of achieving a perspective that is more divine than human. And, and, and because of that, an inability to let the Holy Spirit strengthen you in areas where you're weak so that you're, you can actualize more of your potential. So this judge thing, it arises very young. In a, when you see an infant move into becoming a two-year-old and a three-year-old, you will begin to see if you have the privilege of being around a young child like that right now, the formation of the judge. And part of that is because that's the, that is the input that's coming into these to our little kids. No, no, Johnny, that's bad. Don't do that. Good boy, Johnny. That was good. Do more of that. And so we begin to teach children very young to judge between good and bad because we are continually judging their behavior, good and bad. Now, to the extent that we're responsible for their safety, we do have to have some of that. So it's not like it's entirely avoidable, but we can learn by this kind of process that instead of speaking into a child like you are your behavior, you are a bad boy, Johnny. What we actually want to do is say that behavior is unworkable, Johnny, because Look at this consequence, look at that consequence. And if you know, for a little kid, it's like, don't touch the stove, Johnny, because it will burn your finger. Feel that's hot. So it's not you're a bad boy for touching the stove. It's that if you touch the stove, you'll burn your finger. And if we, if we can begin to differentiate when we correct our children between who they are and, an, and a choice that they made, we give them a big leg up right from the very beginning about how to mitigate the experience of the judge within and how to be open as, as our relationship with our little children begins to be a model for them of a loving and forgiving God. Then as they grow in their faith and find God in their own personal experience, they're, they're much more likely to seek God out looking for a positive experience as opposed to painting a picture of God that is judgmental and unforgiving and is, you know, just basically not so inviting for a young child. We always want to be giving our children the opportunity to know God's love more and more deeply in their own experience and, and for good or for not so good. 
it's our behavior that really ends up communicating that to them. So I wanna wrap up today. I wanna to thank you for joining me. I hope that you will use these tips and clues that I've given you about how to identify the judge in your own dealings with yourself, other people in life so that you can begin to notice when you're judging and ask the Holy Spirit to help you change your perspective. In episodes to come, we're gonna be talking a lot more about what to do once you've identified these saboteurs, these mental constructs that prevent the Holy Spirit from entering deeply into your heart and what to do about it and how to really begin to feel like you are, are able to notice when you've slipped into one of these sabotaging mindsets and move yourself over into deepening your relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the way that you elevate your motivation by allowing love to lift you up. And so until next time, I say thank you. Let love lift you up. Bye for now.